1: Hey there! Before you start listening, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lopercaro, and this episode's guest is Vacations. It was
0: really confronting, um, knowing all my patterns of behavior, the way I spoke, the way I acted, the way I... Anything I did, I could all trace that back to having OCD, and it's this bizarre knowing that you've had this condition your whole life that you've only just now starting to come to terms with it.
1: Hello there, welcome to the first episode of 2024. It feels really, really good to be back. Um, It's obviously been wonderful to have some time to rest and recharge and be with family, but I won't lie, I get pretty antsy as well if I'm not doing anything for a few weeks. So I'm I'm really excited to be here and getting to talk to you again and getting to do interviews again and all the good things. Well, technically the interview you're about to hear was recorded before I went on vacation for, for Christmas and and all that. But I am just generally back to working, editing, booking more interviews, and just gearing up for all the hopefully good things that are going to come out of, of this year. I really hope so. I hope that you have had a wonderful, restful holiday break as well. And that as we have all started to transition back into day-to-day life, that it's going smoothly for you. Um, and hopefully also you've started to get back into whatever music things you may be personally excited about. Um, I've not quite gotten there yet. I'm still actually in Florida at the time of this recording. Actually, when this episode is released, I will have just basically arrived back in LA and kind of started everything, started my day-to-day life. Again, I've started working on episodes and stuff. I'm just working remotely remotely. Uh, I guess all it means is that I, I wish I could say I have a whole lot more music stuff to report than I do. Um, just because I'm in a kind of quieter part of Florida where there's not many gigs going on. That being said, uh, a few things that I did get to do. Um, last weekend, actually, I went and visited my younger brother in Tampa area. And we got to go to see some live jazz, which was really great. More like big band kind of stuff, Um, smooth jazz, which I do have an appreciation for. I'm more into my like weird experimental jazz personally, but it was just nice to be around something fun and creative again. I've realized as, you know, as we all get to know ourselves or as I get to know myself as an adult, I feel most myself when I am engaging with something creative. And so that felt really good. Uh, We also went to this awesome uh, music or awesome record shop in in an area called Clearwater. They had just a massive, massive, massive selection of records from all genres. A lot of classic rock for sure, but also plenty of international stuff, soundtracks, um, a lot of like older records from like the 1950s maybe even the 1940s just a good a good spot to go and rummage and i think i spent like maybe around 40 45 bucks and i got like i feel like i got at least five records hold on i've got them behind me we're gonna do this we're gonna back up because i don't have a mic stand so i can be a little portable um for a minute i got one two three four did i only get four No, I got five. I got five records. I got five. This year as a Christmas gift, I also got the vest of Ella Fitzgerald on vinyl. I've not spent a lot of time on Ella Fitzgerald yet, so I'm very excited when I get home to pop that into my record player and listen to more of her. And also, another thing, my my younger brother Marco is a really talented musician in his own right. He produces a lot of his own beats and has such an incredible knowledge of jazz and gospel and a lot of records that are usually great for sampling. And so it was really fun to get to hang out with him and kind of be reminded of how his brain works. And we got to jam together, do a little cover of Arrow Through Me by Paul McCartney and Wings. Um, And I played the piano again, which I haven't done very much in, I wanna say at least like a year and a half, two years, my God, but all that to say, it just felt good to to get back into playing. As I've mentioned before with some of my OCD stuff, I am a raging perfectionist um, when it comes to how I consume music as well as how I make music and how I perform music. And I'm finally in a period of my life where I think I'm starting to be able to return it because there were points where it was getting so bad that I just like avoid certain instruments or avoid making music because I was just like, I can't do this. I'm not good enough at it. And I'm finally getting at least a little closer to being okay with being imperfect and just trying things again. And so I felt a little bit more like myself getting to play. Oh, I should also add, I forget if I mentioned this in any of the recap episodes, but when I was in Dallas a couple weeks ago, I ended up bringing some of my own original songs to a friend's house and he helped me add some guitar parts, because I'm not a very strong guitar player. He is. And it just felt so validating and so exciting to hear my ideas have the potential to become fully formed, because I've never really experienced that. I, I don't know how to do everything by myself, and I'm terrible at asking for help. Again, something I'm trying to get better at in 2024. And this is all to say, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to like pivot careers or anything but just give myself permission to create things and to ask for help and work with other people and embrace imperfection in in the creative things that I love to do so that felt really really good and if that's something you're struggling with in your own creative pursuits whether that be in music or something entirely different I think I've learned that trusting yourself doesn't mean that you expect yourself to be perfect or make the right decisions at all times. It just means that you're trusting yourself to move as much as you can in the right direction. And also mistakes are what make us human. So I don't know. Give it a shot. If that's something you've been curious about trying this year, go for it. And you can go at your own pace. You don't have to go crazy. Just... Yeah, let yourself be curious and, and try things because you want to, not because they need to look or sound a certain way. Speaking, I guess, of OCD, I think it's a good time to bring up this first guest of the year, um, Vacations. The reason I say OCD is relevant here is because Campbell, the frontman of Vacations, wrote quite a lot about OCD on this record. He was diagnosed, I forget if it was a couple years ago or more recently, but It ended up really informing a lot of this record and getting to talk to, I mean, I love getting to talk about deep stuff in general, mental health, especially, and even more so talking about OCD on this podcast, because I think as any of us can understand when there's a particular thing that very directly affects us, it can be really helpful to get to talk to someone else who gets it for on a very intimate level, they really understand how OCD works. It's also really cathartic to get to see something like it be translated into art that, you know, I can understand and I can relate to and other people with OCD can relate to. I think there's also a lot on this record that people without OCD can relate to, whether that be songs that were actually directly written about OCD or ones that weren't. Um, I think there's elements of, of it that are universal, but again, that really was special to me. And also a big part of why I like doing this podcast and why I also just generally like sharing about my experiences because I know how much it's meant to me when someone else has spoken openly about their experience with OCD and how seen and validated it made me feel and how much easier it made it for me to cope with and overcome certain aspects of my OCD. And there's something deeply, deeply fulfilling to me about getting to do that for other people and making other people feel less alone, making it a little easier for them to heal. That, I don't know, it just hits my heart in a special place. Um, so as soon as, uh, the, the folks at Vacation's label reached out about this one, I was immediately like, absolutely, I would, I would love to do this. Um, and it ended up, again, being a wonderful conversation. Uh, Campbell was such a a joy to talk to and re- released this deeply relatable and wonderful record. It also just, It has like a almost dream pop tinge to it while singing about some things that can otherwise be really heavy. So it's like sonically, it's giving you room to breathe while you digest all of these different, maybe heavier things that one might have to grapple with. It's wonderful. And again, I I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. I'm so glad to be back with the first one of the year. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Campbell from Vacations. I think the best place to begin quite literally is at the beginning because uh, next exit, the opening track really sets the tone for the record and just the sort of desire for, or just a need to break out of a lot of different types of cycles.
0: Mm. It's making a record is such a bizarre process. I don't think I'll ever fully understand it. And I think that's why I keep doing it maybe in order to understand that process or more about myself. It's almost like self-reflective or therapeutic. Um, But with Next Exit, that was the first track that I wrote for the album. I didn't know what the rest of the album really looked like. I had a vague idea and maybe other themes that I wanted to touch on, but it's interesting having that as the first track that was written, but also the first track to the album that like you said does set the tone and kind of almost a story moving forward throughout the album and I guess yeah being stuck being stuck in those repetitive cycles and just like going through the motions and realizing that you do need a change and I find it really interesting too because most of the time when I write a song I don't really or it's very rare that I understand what it's actually about when I first write it because people are always like oh what's the track about and genuinely I have no idea like it's almost like you don't really realize what it's about till like maybe a year two years three like much further down the path once you're able to reflect and process all that emotion and all that feeling that you initially put into the track like yeah it's a really it's, it's, it's such a weird thing <laughs>
1: I've heard it go both ways and it's always so fascinating to hear different people talk about that Mm. like I did um, one interview with someone where they were like I was just going like full on stream of consciousness and now Mm. actually doing an interview helps me to kind of look back in retrospect and then I have other people that are like laser point like this is exactly what I want to talk about and explore and then sometimes it's also both sometimes things just kind of come out um, and then like it, it can really be both sometimes they coexist in the same record or same project
0: i think so and i think as well when you first write a song initially it is just for yourself because no one else has really heard it yet and it feels very personal but as more and more people start to hear it whether that's another producer or a bandmate or a partner friends family it the meaning can start to change and warp and then once it's finally released with like the artwork and the, the music video and everything it the meaning then starts to change again at least for myself and i find that there's always going to be like my own interpretation there'll be someone else's interpretation whether that's like again friends family or like a fan i've had fans come up to me after shows and say oh is this song about this particular thing that happened in your life and it's not but i love that people can have their own interpretation like, yeah rather than like a stock like this is what the track is like
1: absolutely I I've, I've said this many times on the podcast, but I love the idea of all of these interpretations coexisting together. Mm. A lot of the times, the way that I structure my questions is based on my interpretation, but then I'll always say like, "But please correct me if I'm
0: yeah. wrong." And yeah. it's
1: and it's not about saying that I am, you know, silly for reading it the way that I did. It's just kind of I want to hear what the original story is, but also it they can those two again those two things can coexist.
0: Mm. That's true. And slightly (laughs) contradicting myself here, but I know that in the past, I always tried to write very, like very vaguely, like non-gendered and very like, it could have multiple interpretations. But then with this album, I thought, well, I've already done that so many times before. Maybe I do want to get a little more literal and blunt and to the point and using very like specific parts of like things that have happened throughout my life down to like Maybe like the location or the or the day or the weather, or things like that to really kind of say this is my own unique experience, but then trying to find a way that people can still relate to that experience. Absolutely. So I think before I was maybe trying to write so universally, so in hopes that everyone could relate to it, and now it's almost this like shift where I kind of want to get even more and more personal and like hone in a bit but then still find that sort of pop sensibility or like way for people to relate to the track.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think in a way, ironically, sometimes being more personal does actually make you more relatable, even if you think that it's becoming more niche because it's yeah. getting more deeply into what makes you human rather than yeah, kind of totally. the more blanket statement.
0: Cause I didn't used to think that I used to think that if you were getting very, very niche and specific, it almost build this wall between yourself and the listener in a way that maybe you can't directly relate to the experience but I think over time through my own songwriting experience of again I've shifted and I've realized like no you can have both
1: yeah I also find sometimes like one of my favorite songs of all time is I'll Still Destroy You by The National. Oh, and cool. and that is a song that I mean, some of it does what deals with substance abuse. Mm. Um, but there's also a large element of the song that's about fatherhood. Okay. I am a cisgender heterosexual female who does not have children. So like yeah. in a literal sense, I'm never going to relate to that experience. But he describes it in such specific details that I almost feel like I'm understanding someone else's lived experience. And I find that as as powerful as when it's something that I've lived through myself. I feel like I've been invited mm. in to someone else's brain. And I, I don't know. I think that in its own way, it also can give you a sense of empathy for the way that another yeah. human being works. So again, I don't find it alienating. I actually find it very inviting.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's good to hear that take because like I keep saying, yeah, again, coming around to that idea that it can be inviting and seeing such a, or hearing, I should say, such a display of like raw human emotion is what connects everybody at the end of the day. And I think that's the most important thing. I also used to be in the mindset, <laughs> I feel like if the band listens to this, they'll get a good laugh out of it because we've talked about it before, but I think we used to be in the mindset that's like, oh, like the chorus really slaps or like this is a banger or like the snare tone is so good. And it's like, none of that, like that is important. Those are elements that make a song, but at the end of the day, I don't think like the fidelity or like the tone or any of those things necessarily matters. It's just whether or not the emotion is there. And if you connect to that emotion, yes, that's the most powerful thing about songwriting. And that is something I always try to harp on about, when I'm with my band or if we're in a songwriting session or if I'm in a songwriting session with other artists or producing, it's just, what's the point? Like, why are we here? Why are we doing this? It gets existential very quickly, but it should because we're looking at ourselves and getting into these very deep emotions and there's nothing worse than just releasing a track or or writing a song and you, you just don't really feel anything at all for it. It's just kind of there. Like, yeah.
1: You don't want it it's to, just, yeah, just be a thing. Um, I have a question about that that I'm going to bring up in just a second, but okay. I'll share something. My my vocal teacher told me this recently that really helped me let go of some of my own perfectionism, which was mm. she's like, I'd rather watch a performance where it's maybe a little pitchy sometimes, but there's so much like raw humanity and emotion in it mm, versus yeah. something that's so technically perfect and micromanaged it's that boring. it loses its that's entire soul. It's so boring. If you, yeah.
0: That, to me was alienating because it's too perfect yeah and it doesn't it's like synthetic or like yeah it, or digital in a sense it, it, it's not it's not real like yeah yeah
1: so the question i want to ask now is i know that you've you've mentioned in the past having sort of a period where you kind of had to find your love of music again mm-hmm. and like everything that you've just said now about like perfectionism and kind yeah, of getting stuck in the details <laughs> does not have anything to do with that
0: Does it have anything to do with?
1: Like like being in those kind of, like you said, like everything has to be kind of perfect and in its place. Like, was that something that maybe created a bit of a loss of like passion and that you had to recover from? Or is it something totally unrelated? Uh, I think...
0: I think so. I think it's really interesting because I got diagnosed with pure OCD, I think two years ago now which seems like a lifetime ago but it's interesting post-diagnosis being able to reflect on my younger self particularly when i was making our first album changes and even just the way that like how i would be setting up mics and like trying to get everything like perfectly centered and perfectly aligned and at the time i thought i was just being very detail orientated i wasn't like The, the, the thought of having a condition like that would have never have crossed my mind i don't even think i really knew too much about it other than like what it is stereotyped to be but i think the falling out of love with music more so my own than music as a whole because whilst that was happening i was still listening to like a lot of music but i found that it was during our second album forever in bloom we released it during the pandemic we couldn't tour at the same time we had a lot of virality through TikTok. Um, there were multiple record labels there was lots of conversations between our manager and their team and this team and you know people contacting me every day saying well this this song just blew up or you know this TikTok just went viral like you know you have to make a TikTok you have to do this and then also trying to just go about my life in a day-to-day way of just living like not trying to pay attention to you know the pandemic or all the riots that was happening or all the you know distress in the world is very very disorientating feeling and it's like the last thing i really wanted to do in that moment was write music for vacations it just felt felt like something i didn't quite recognize it felt very alienating and every time i sat down to try and write it it did have this sort of weight of expectations of well it has to be perfect or it has to be a certain sound or it's what you know fans expect or my own expectations um for what the music should be and I wasn't quite hitting these marks and I was like this just feels it just feels wrong I just sort of stopped trying in that domain so I shifted gears and instead worked with my friends and other artists and I found that when writing a song with someone else when I was detached from the process it was actually very straightforward and very simple writing a song could take as little as 30 minutes like intro verse chorus like everything could be so so simple (laughs) and i think i had to i think i had to sort of like take a break from myself and my own process and spend time with others and see how their artistic practice was practiced I, i don't know i'm trying to find words here, but just see how other people worked in order to sort of uh, come back to myself and go, okay, well, what have I learned from others, these connections and friendships and the sense of community, what can I take from that and apply it to myself in order to grow as a person and break down that wall or that barrier to fall back in love with music. And I really do owe it to all the people that I've met, like, since, like, during that time, like, all the sessions that I did, everywhere that I traveled, just all the sessions that will happen because there's just so many people out there. It's like, yeah, let's ride. And we still, you know, trying to tee those things up. It's just like seeing that and I guess being really engaged with that because there was a time where I was like, almost trying to be like a Kevin Parker or something where I'm like, oh, I have to do everything. Everything has to be me. I have to write the song, mix the song, master the song. I have to play all the instruments. If I don't do it, something bad will happen. Something like... my my art won't be recognized i won't be this like uh poetic mastermind or whatever and as soon as i was able to let go of that and just surround myself with other people it just made everything everything just felt lighter i guess when i came back to sit down and write for myself and it wasn't even when i did come back and start writing again i wasn't even being conscious of the fact that i was writing for vacations i was just writing because i wanted to write which was something i hadn't done in years and then everything just sort of started coming naturally, like it used to. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You just hit a big bingo point for me, (laughs) both, and it's something I can very directly relate to, which is that, you know, like I used to, I mean, I still occasionally write very much for myself, but the reason I've never gotten into releasing music is because I held a similar expectation myself where I was like, I have to do everything. I have to produce this. I have to know how to arrange it. Yeah. Well, also, not. Oh. I don't have the technical skills for it. Like, I have gear yeah. for, like, what makes uh you know an arrangement good what needs to be there but mm-hmm. I don't have the technical skills and I'm such a perfectionist because of my OCD yep. that I'm like and I, that I just look at it and I'm like I'm never going to be able to get there there's a million things I have to do <sighs> I'm going to keep making mistakes because I get in my head and I'm going to beat myself up and I and so it ended up becoming such a source of stress that I just was like I'm not going to do this mm-hmm. so what you're saying hits really close to home and also I mean in my case adding gender like being a woman like the idea of just singing or just writing the lyrics you're you're kind of looked at as like okay well now you have to bring in a man to be your (laughs) producer and to be the real mastermind behind everything so yeah
0: of course which is such a it makes this industry a minefield and I'm glad that there is some change starting to take place because we are starting to see more non male producers and songwriters come forward and put out lots of great material. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, well, I need to go hit up this producer that's like been in the industry for like forever and a day. And it, you don't have to do that anymore. No. Like you, it's, yeah.
1: There's a second thing I want to bring up in what you said that I I'm curious to hear your take on, but I mm-hmm. find for example, I'm really good at giving other people rational advice. Yeah. Because, um,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Because
1: yes. it's not my, it's not in my own world. It's not my own triggers, my own expectations yeah. of myself. So when you said that your sort of respite and your way of getting kind of out of it for a bit was writing for other people, and I again, I'm curious to hear your take on this, but there's this sort of removal from your own again expectations because you would never put those on another person
0: yeah and it's like this reflection where you're like wow i am so hard on myself and why why am i doing this like why Mm -hmm. am i treating myself this way because i would never do any of these things to anyone else yeah and it's i noticed that when i'm writing with other people i become this like almost life coach character where i like I get so passionate and I care so much and I want them to see the best in themselves because it's so important to me because nothing kills me more than seeing a friend or just anybody say, Oh, I just, I don't really like this. I don't really like what I'm doing. I don't really think my art's going to go anywhere. Maybe I should quit and do a nine to five. I fucking, I hate that. Yeah, (laughs) And I just want to like shake them and be like, no, you are worthy. You can do this. Like,
1: yeah, I think that, Having OCD gives you this insane sense of empathy. I mean, not for everyone, because you know there's good and bad people out there. But oh,
0: absolutely! I think
1: but... when you understand how small you can make yourself feel, mm. you don't want others to live through that. And so there's absolutely. Again, I think it really breeds a sense of compassion. Which actually, I'm gonna I, I put something towards the end of my notes, but I kind of want to bring it up now because sure, this idea of worthiness comes up on the record in a few songs. One of them is Slow Motion, and the other one is Lost in Translation. Um, Interesting. In slow motion, it may be in different ways, but the way I kind of read it is like slow motion, like wanting to know if someone will be there for you and like, will is willing to be in your life, whether that be romantically or platonically or professionally or whatever. And it's kind of like, basically like asking, like, am I deserving? Am I capable of receiving Mm. love and being treated as worthy? And then the end of Lost in Translation is quite literally saying, you're worthy of love. We are worthy of love.
0: Yeah, I felt like I had such a big brain moment. When like, because um, this is a fun fact, but the album is also a perfect loop because by the time you get to lost in translation and the track starts to fade out, it will go back into next exit with all the chatter and the field recordings and everything. And for me, that's almost a perfect summary of OCD, where you get to the end and you're like, oh, this is fine. I'm okay, everything's okay. Nothing, none of these thoughts are, real material things that will hurt me. But then you get back to next exit and you're like, wait, I'm, I'm back at the start again. I'm in this constant feedback loop of just rumination and thoughts and.
1: Yeah. There's a a line on terms and conditions (laughs) that. I think is my favorite line on the entire record that I think hits on that, which is like, I can't win, but I can lose or learn how to live with you. Yeah. Oh, um, that's, yes.
0: Thank you. That's one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Cause it did. There was a point um, in my life where I was like, this just feels so overwhelming. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. Like it just feels so insurmountable trying to come to terms with this this condition to be quite you know like the song but learning that I had OCD it was just a very at first I was relieved um I even remember (laughs) even remember coming home and I was like mom dad I have I have OCD like we figured it out after three years of therapy like we finally we finally did it and they just looked at me and they're like no you don't like you don't have that like like which which I get they were being protective but of course once once I like initially got over that excitement and that, then the realization kicked in and then being able to look back throughout my life and uh, it was really confronting um, knowing all my patterns of behavior, the way I spoke, the way I acted, the way I, anything I did, I could all trace that back to having OCD. And it's, it's bizarre knowing that you've had this condition your whole life, but you've only just now starting to come to terms with it um it's interesting too looking back on my past songwriting there's so many songs now where i'm like oh i'm actually talking about having ocd i just had no idea i had it like
1: there's another line on terms and conditions i was playing charades while the house was on fire yeah Um, that feels very much that like because you're again you're dealing with something that doesn't have a name um Mm. i also something i've learned recently um through my own i mean as, as we talked about on that other line, I mentioned, like OCD is a lifelong chronic thing, whether we like yeah, it or it not. It's, and it's it's not something that just goes away. No, it's like, not something you defeat. It's something you learn how to cope with and manage. Um, but something else um, I've learned in my own journey, at least in recent parts of it, is that often the advice that we'd give to neurotypical people for certain mm. situations is actually counterintuitive to the advice that someone with OCD needs, especially because we yeah. have like, as as the record literally mentions, a fear of the unknown, a fear of uncertainty, uncertainty. Yep. lack of control. And so it can be really hard to deal with something like OCD if you haven't named it because it it works in such a its own specific way.
0: Uh, that brings me back to slow motion because I think in the chorus when I'm saying if I lean into you will you take a hold of me is talking about that uncertainty because my therapist was like we worked really hard at it but just that idea of leaning into the unknown or uncertainty as much as possible and almost treating it as a positive rather than a negative yeah which is something I and it's funny like you're talking about trying to convey that to neurotypicals as well <laughs> so feels feel that feels so, feel so funny to say as well those neurotypicals um I've
1: only in the last few <laughs> months started to accept the word neurodivergent as as something to define myself especially because yeah. like OCD some people are like yes it is some people are like no that's only reserved for certain types of you know neurodivergence but
0: mm, that's interesting but that's, that I wouldn't
1: yeah, yeah, but I th- I've I've personally started to own it cuz like my brain is wired differently than other people and I don't want to I... resist like be ashamed of that essentially.
0: I feel maybe adverse to it only because I feel like like, I'm I'm fine with being called neurodivergent, and I would call myself neurodivergent. Yeah, and, and by
1: the way, it's fine that you get to define yourself within that, like, whatever way field yeah, like to no, you. Yeah, no, no, It's totally, not like you have I, to I define do, yourself the same way someone else does. I
0: doesn't. do find it really interesting, because it brings up that whole idea of pop psychology, and maybe more millennials, Gen Z in particular, and mm. I feel like in the past few years, the word... Neurodivergent is starting to become more and more diluted mm. in the same way that uh, gaslighting or toxic or anything in that realm. And I feel like it's maybe starting to lose meaning because I feel like more and more I'm hearing people say that they are neurodivergent, which is fine. They might be, but I think it's important to try to go to therapy or take those steps or try to learn more about yourself mm. rather than using it as a blanket statement because it's important not to enforce and push forward stereotypes, I guess, yeah. in the same way. In the same way that, like, a lot of people... And it was funny when I got diagnosed as well, because it was close to Christmas. Um, And I remember... Uh, what was it? There was a store back home, and they were selling mugs that said, Obsessive Christmas Disorder.
1: Oh, God. And I've I... I've seen more than enough of that stuff.
0: Yeah, and I, I... It really... Yeah, it really got to me, and I just... I don't know I I just think it's it's important that it doesn't become a word that is watered down that is diluted in the same way that other really important psychological terms have been because there's nothing nothing killed me more again than like pop psychology or people on Instagram sharing infographics or sometimes that can be helpful sometimes there is some good information within that but Mm -hmm. I just I really I attribute so much to seeking out professional help and doing that work I, I feel like i've gone to the gym and i've just gotten so shredded and i can lift anything and it's it's really important I, if i didn't take those steps then i might have some awareness but not anywhere near to the same level so i yeah. guess it it's a very i feel like there is there is no right or wrong no <laughs> there's I... no black and white just like with having ocd it's all a very gray area it's all very uncertain but I get very, I don't know, I get very worked up and passionate about it,
1: like. Which is totally valid. I mean, in my case, like I, you know, I take it from like what science is saying. Like it's, it's contested. I think within the scientific community, not necessarily mm. just on like Instagram, and it yeah. also doesn't give you a free pass or like mean that you should be listening to like TikTokers telling you like how to manage yeah. your city because I've seen some say some stuff that is. It's like the thing I just said, for example, about how. Treatment for OCD and the advice you give someone with OCD can be counterintuitive to what someone without it would have.
0: Totally. A big
1: reason I mention that is because of people like there was a a video that one of my friends who I think also has OCD did like a like a stitch of and it was a girl saying like intrusive thoughts are just the things that you actually want and then my friend like jumped in and she was like no it's not please stop right now um so the
0: the worst thing I can imagine is just people sharing that. Like I'll I'll always see like a reel being like, oh, I'm so OCD and it's them rearranging something in their kitchen so that everything's straight. And then all the comments are like, oh wow, I must have OCD too. And it's like, that's not what it is. Do not label yourself as that. Do not start going out and start saying, oh, well I'm neurodivergent and this, Mm -hmm. this, this. It's just, it it gets so much deeper than that. Like. Yeah. (laughs) And then when people do start saying, like if I, was to go to someone and say, "Oh, well, I do have OCD. I am neurodivergent." It just loses meaning over time if yeah. people start using that type of language in that particular way, where it just again becomes diluted.
1: Like, yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's one of those that it's just it comes down to how you use it. Like again, for me, it's also the reason I've and like I know I, I I just find this an interesting topic to talk about within all this. The reason, mm. like I started claiming the word neurodivergence again, because there is like val- validity to it, and yeah. I do have a clinical diagnosis of yeah. of OCD. Yes. But it, for me, it was also a way to teach myself to have grace towards myself when yep. I'm not coping with things the same way that other people are. For example, mm-hmm. like growing up, like I remember I used to when I do my exams in secondary school I because of my OCD I got like an extra hour like I was right. I was in the kind of group of kids like that you know if they had that or like ADHD or dyslexia yeah, like yeah. there was kind of a group but I always took pride in finishing in the regular time and it was it yeah. for me it was as if I was proving to myself see I'm just as normal as everybody Everyone else, else. Yeah. despite I this thing exactly so for me claiming that word is not about again using it in a fast and loose way, it's kind of allowing myself to be like, especially cause I've dealt with like burnout in my work because of the expectations that I've set on myself that mm. are impossible. Yeah. And so this for me was a way of saying, it is okay that my brain does not work the same way, that I do not work at the same pace or I do not work in the same order as other people. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gave me an ability to remove a lot of resentment in towards myself in mm. the way that I operate. And so that I can actually use the parts of the way that my brain works that I like to my favor rather than being angry at myself for them.
0: Which I think is a really beautiful realization because again, OCD or anything adjacent to it, thinking of that line from terms and conditions, mm-hmm. um, like you can lose and you can get to a point where you just never figure it out and it leads to a life of unfulfillment or you can learn to live with it and in a sense I almost treat it not as like a superpower a friend but I know that it can be a positive quality to myself because it does create this sense of empathy that I can have for people and maybe the way that I approach certain situations or problem solve and in a way at least after all the work and medication and everything I am grateful for it because it makes me who I am and that's important i guess it's like showing yourself an act of kindness or self-love
1: absolutely um with all that i want to talk about the song Over You because I mean speaking of things that a therapist will tell you to do if you have OCD it's giving it giving your OCD a name and literally making a character out of it which is what Over You does which also reminds me of another (laughs) incredible Australian artist uh, Genesis Owusu who did that a lot on The Other Black Dog he was on the podcast a little while back for that record
0: sick he's fantastic oh
1: he's amazing Um, but he created a persona out of his depression which Mm. was The Black Dog and he sings Mm. songs from the perspective of that and I thought that was such a yeah. cool concept so seeing someone do that with OCD was really really cool so I'd <laughs> love to you. talk more about that one
0: yeah that sounds funny because uh, <laughs> because we were writing John and I were like writing in the studio one day in a session and we were building up on these guitar parts um based off an idea that John and Nate had from a separate session. And it was getting quite angular and robotic, but also kind of like sexual, which feels like a very odd way to describe music. But it was sort of like, like when it got down to writing lyrics, it was almost this idea of like dominant and submissive. And if you take that and you apply it to the theme of having OCD, it does almost feel like that condition can be dominant over your life. And you do just submit to every intrusive thought, every idea of yourself, and it was really, it was like I said, it was it's a fun way to approach it, um, writing out the lyrics and just kind of showing that relationship that you can have with your diagnosis or with your condition.
1: Yeah, I remember actually. This is just hitting me now, but like when on that Genesis record when he was kind of personifying depression it almost had this like temptress quality to it Mm, because even though it's such a fearful and dark thing it can sometimes have this like enticing allure to it it's like it would be easier to to ruminate than to actually sit with the unknown
0: absolutely like come
1: hang here instead of
0: because it's comforting and it's your it's almost your routine it's what you're used to and if you're used to it then yeah there is comfort within that and you can avoid experiences that create tension or more uncertainty even though you should be pursuing those to just your utmost ability because that what is what allows you to push forward and grow more as a person you sort of just sink back into old habits and essentially just hang out with your condition all the time when you don't you don't need to
1: no you, you stay trapped that makes me think so much about like how much of a cyclical nature there is in this record like the thing mm. you said about like you know, the first and the last track kind of touching on each other in a perfect cycle, you know, a lot about trying to break out of cycles, which is mm. obviously a hard I'll thing see. to do. And even though we've now obviously talked a lot about the OCD element of cycles, I think that it manifests in other ways on this record as well. Like okay. talking about things like relationships or how you define home and where you typically find your comfort versus mm. versus not. Like, for example, you've moved from uh, Australia to the United States like and yeah. that's that's a huge shift in what would normally be your your comfort zone um, Absolutely. and redefining that
0: yeah that yeah <laughs> that's been that's been quite a journey because I've been wanting to move to the U.S. I think as early as when I was 23 or 24 I'm 28 now so I always knew there was this desire to go overseas because it's where our audience is and the U.S. is just such a vast country. It really does, I guess, from an outsider perspective, feel like where there is so much opportunity. It's where some of my favorite artists and writers and creators and just whatever are. And I really wanted to be amongst that and experience it because whilst I do love Australia, it does feel... I mean, it is literally isolating because we're so far from everything. It's rare that international bands come to Australia, and because of that, I find that the ceiling for how far you can go, but also with creativity in Australia, is quite limited. Um, and I think I reached a point in my life last December where I went through a bunch of things personally, and it would kind of create this catalyst. And I thought to myself, and talked it over with my manager extensively, and was like, okay, what do I have to do? To get to the US because if I'm not going to do it now. I'm never going to do it. And I, from that point, essentially traveled with no real fixed address for about seven to eight months, just nonstop. Like, whether that was, you know, spending time in the US or then going back to the UK or then going back to Australia for a little bit and then back to the US. And then it's like you're on a tour and you're in. Jakarta all of a sudden and then you're back off to the UK and you're on tour and then just non-stop and whilst it was a very intense period of my life I do owe so much to it because I just got to meet so many people along the way and have all these beautiful experiences and become quite grateful for what I do being a musician and being able to share my art with the world and having people connect with that so it's It's funny to think about, because I do see myself as a bit of a homebody. I'm also a tourist, so I love comforts. I love being comfortable. I love being hedonistic and indulging, but like by traveling so much, I started becoming quite comfortable with that and being this kind of like temporary person, just sort of, you know, I could just do whatever I wanted to and then pop off to the next city and then do it all over again and experience different cultures. That started to become really comfortable. So the actual idea of settling is, more confronting to me now and I think with all the traveling but then also all the touring as well like my lifestyle is so high intensity and then low intensity and when it's high intensity that's when I usually am on tour I am traveling and there is very loosely a routine whether that's like you know sound checks always at like three or five and then doors will be at like six or seven and then you know when loadout is and you know when the bus call is it it kind of does create this comfort and this sense of home even though you don't have a physical home really so I guess (laughs) where I'm trying to go with all this is I've been really enjoying my time in LA but like when I actually have some time in LA to be in my physical home it almost does feel like I said earlier like confronting because it's like well what do I do with myself it's I'm in this vast city I need to find my community what do I do on my day-to-day if I'm not playing shows or I'm not traveling or doing this or that it's like it's this is very bizarre it's this really bizarre almost relationship with the city where i feel like if i don't if i don't push myself enough then the city will just swallow me whole and then i'll go back to australia and then like yeah i feel like i could keep going forever but just what's your take
1: no uh, <laughs> this is all good stuff
0: it's just it's just interesting because it's like it this this, this a, idea of home is like a constant I know it's a constant thing within my work and I, I because it keeps changing for me and I, I, it's this very strange relationship I have with it, yeah,
1: that's so why it's quite interesting that this record is quite literally called no place like home. yeah um, I, I don't know what it is <laughs> but that can be a shifting thing. I think it is for all of us. when I was seventeen, my parents or my dad got a job or actually know his job transferred him from Montreal where I'm originally from in Canada to just outside of Houston Texas mm. and even though I would moved around a bit as a child I was so settled in Montreal that that was home for me that was where my routine was it's where the majority yeah. of my childhood was and so when we moved my sense of home was fragmented you know mm-hmm. my my parents were in one place my you know, my birth city, my extended family that I'm very close with, my friends, my usual community were all back in Montreal, the culture that I was used to. Mm, yeah. And now a decade later, it's only in the last couple of years that I've started to feel that sense of home again and groundedness. So, and and it took being okay with letting go what home was and and starting to shift and make a conscious effort even little things like decorating my house i have a dog who's upstairs and (laughs) like creating a new sense of what it means to build a nest and to feel grounded so it's okay that that's a shifting thing i think that's a normal thing especially in your 20s in this part of our lives this is it's It's, normal
0: it's definitely normal it's interesting feeling this push and pull dynamic because whilst australia for me was home and particularly my hometown, Newcastle. Um, I knew that if I stayed there, it's like, yes, my family is there, some of my best friends, people I've grown up with. My dog is back there. There's, you know, the community that I know and love, the landscape, all the beaches and the coffee, which I miss so much. But (laughs) it's just like, even though it felt comfortable, there was always this sense of tension as well because it's like, if if I don't get out of my comfort zone sooner or later, like this will just make me feel worse about myself like I need to make myself feel uncomfortable which I think as well having a condition like OCD is it almost sounds uh
1: counterintuitive
0: counterintuitive thank you that's what I was looking for (laughs) it almost sounds counterintuitive it's important that you do put yourself in situations that are anxiety inducing or uncomfortable or have a lot of uncertainty because by doing that it's essentially exposure therapy and you're Slowly learning to become okay with those things and go oh that's not so bad so it is it is such a shift to be here but I know that no matter on some days if I do feel anxious or if I'm like oh I don't like you know what am I doing here really I know that I am grateful to be in a position where I can be here and slowly start to call it home and find those people and settle down and like find my roots and All of those wonderful positive attributes
1: (laughs) exactly i'm gonna go sort of i guess in a sense back in time in that talking about realizing that you do need to make that shift there there's a couple songs on this record that maybe deal with having to let certain things go from from home home if you will for Mm. lack of a better word songs like midwest and off season which kind of deal with like finding a person kind of at the wrong time or at a time that's in flux and I don't know if this this is a something that you like agree with, but sometimes like there might be something that in a certain time in your life brings you a lot of joy, whether that be a connection or or anything really. But sometimes you have to let go of that thing for kind of the bigger picture of your own self or your own fulfillment or your own mm. bigger picture joy. And and that's hard. I mean, like, I feel like these songs really grapple with that idea.
0: So that's interesting too, because I feel like Midwest is very direct in that sense and that it does deal with a relationship and you know that it's falling apart, but you're trying to desperately hold on to it for as long as possible. And it's kind of funny too, because I went through this situation twice last year, which is insane to think about that it was all last year, (laughs) but starting to see someone and it's going quite well, or you think it's going well, there seems to be something there. But then by the time that, you get back home from tour because you're a musician, you have to tour, it's your full-time job. And you've been keeping that connection the entire time. As soon as you get back home, it just dissipates. It's just like, oh, it's not you, it's me. Which, on reflection, is so fine. That's how it played out. And I'm okay with that because it's led to all these wonderful opportunities. But it's just like, it just kind of kept happening. And I was like, this just feels like, feels like my life as a comedy. And it, it makes me like, feel like I am not capable of being loved or receiving love because of being a musician, because it's like, this is my work. This is what I do. It just, it just kept happening. And I was like, well, I can't really do anything about this. Like, I just feel like I have to keep trying and just hope for the best and almost laugh at it and try and see what I can learn from those experiences rather than trying to build up this sense of resentment and this idea that, Oh, well, I'll never be in a relationship again. Like anything like that. Like,
1: yeah. Because I I wanted to make, I
0: essentially wanted to write a breakup song because I never really have, because I always felt a bit iffy about writing love songs. But I wanted to make it like the most positive, like upbeat, feel good, but just tragic, (laughs) (laughs) as much as possible love song. And I think that's the
1: Beach Boys formula. That's just what you gotta
0: do. Yeah. But, um, no, I'm really, I'm, I'm happy with how that turned out. That's, it has some of my favorite lyrics on it. And examples of lyrics as well that are quite direct and very niche. Like the whole idea of being, which actually happened as well. I remember we had a day off in Colorado and I had this hour, like just went for forever and ever like long phone call to someone I was seeing back home. And it felt like there was this real spark. And then just that idea of coming back home and you, you're faced with this very physical, real, it, there's a person right in front of you like sounds crazy right but it's just like oh this is what we actually are and then it, it just it just it just it ends yep. <laughs> yeah no other way to really put it it just it just stops right then and there and it's like so yeah it's been I have enjoyed talking to other musicians about that too and other people within the entertainment industry of like because I used to really the idea of a long-term relationship just seems so impossible, but I'm now coming to terms with the fact that almost everyone I know does it and it's actually quite normal. And I think, again, in the same way of having to connect with or wanting to connect with other musicians and how they write and then make me realize, oh, like I actually do really like songwriting, like having all those conversations and hearing how other people have navigated that made me realize like, oh, like I do want to be in a relationship. and. If it has to be long distance, then that's okay. I know I can work through it. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, so.
1: Exactly. it's good to, to be able to find that piece, which again, with OCD can sometimes be hard too, because it adds its yeah. own oh spice God, to everything. it adds
0: so much spice in a relationship. <laughs> 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 particularly yeah. When it, yeah. Particularly um, when it crosses in with other themes. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> don't even get me started. What was the other song?
0: Oh, uh, we've, off-season? Yeah, with yeah. off-season. Um. That song is more about not so much like romantic relationships, but more so friendships, like people I've met along the way. Because when I was traveling so much, there were so many instances where I'm like meeting someone for the first time or we're hanging out and just getting to connect with people and then realizing like, oh, I'm probably never going to see this person again. Or it might be years till I see them later because they're on the other side of the world in this city. And it's like just almost like an ode to that sort of time in my life where it's like, you're having these wonderful experiences and you have, you know, potentially these could be lifelong friends, but you just don't know that because you can't, you can't really have it. You can't like, you're not going to be in that city with them. You're going to keep traveling. You're going to keep moving wherever that may be. it's like, it's, it's, I guess it's me like ruminating over it and almost grieving, but at the same time celebrating. Yeah, that I was at least able to have those experiences with those people.
1: Yeah. And I think those two things can coexist. You can be sad that maybe you and that person can't be Mm. like close, immediate friends. But again, there's like a beauty in the experience and and you might see each other again. Like there's life kind of presents itself in funny ways. Um, The last thing I want to ask about is... Um, there's a line that repeats itself across two songs and I'm curious to know why that is. That line is, if it takes two, We can we call it a truce? And that is on both co- close quarters and over you. Um, I think. Really? I think it's on both.
0: Is it really on both? I'm
1: pretty sure it's on both.
0: I remember one of my band members was like, hey, you say this line twice in both songs, but it was actually a completely different line. And I think he wanted me to change it. And I was like, I don't think it really matters. Like there's nothing wrong with repetition. Also, the idea of having OCD, I'm like, that's kind of the point, like...
1: That's why I liked and it. the
0: reinterpretation of it. And it's now funny that there's actually multiple lines that repeat throughout the album. I- I just think it's really funny.
1: Yeah, if that, that made me laugh. but I like when people do that on purpose, too. It's like a yeah. kind well, it kind of like sounds, little Well, it's unintentional.
0: And then when it's brought to my attention, I'm like, oh, that's that's really neat. Like
1: I love it. Yeah. Like, the reason I brought it up was exactly for that reason. It's like, it kind of creates these, again, these ties between songs. And it's like, they're kind of nodding back at each other. Mm. But yeah. Yeah,
0: that's cool. I, yeah, thank you. Yeah,
1: of course. <laughs> no Place Like Home is available now wherever you normally get your music. This podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Sophia Loparcaro, and the artwork is by Meg Wilford. So, I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So, bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me, because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.
0: Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series,